Happening right now, we have the official candidates running for OKC mayor. David Holt, the current mayor, of course, he's been in office since 2018. He's running for re-election. There is Mayor Holt, there's Jimmy Lawson, there's Carol Hefner, and just filed today, defense attorney Frank Urban. In a sea of red, Oklahoma City stands out as the lone purple spot in the state. Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt is a Republican, but has what is likely the most diverse constituency in the state. On this edition of Listen Frontier, Holt sits down with me to talk about, among other things, Oklahoma City's voter base, how he labels himself politically, how long he wants to be mayor, his American Indian heritage, and his thought process behind which topics he chooses to weigh in on. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about two stories we published this week at the Frontier. On Wednesday, we published a story by Kayla Branch about patient dumping, where hospitals discharge to the streets people experiencing homelessness. Kayla spent months reporting that story, spending countless hours meeting and talking with people at shelters across Oklahoma City, helping them track down their medical records, and then asking hospitals about that process. And this morning, we published a story by Cassie McClung and Brianna Bailey about Oklahoma mothers who are increasingly being charged with crimes when prosecutors believe alleged drug use led to a miscarriage, even if the state's own experts don't necessarily agree on that cause and effect. That story had been in the works for months as well. Stories like these aren't produced easily. They take time, effort, passion, and especially in these cases, care and empathy. I'd ask you to go to our website and read both stories. And if you'd like to support more journalism like that, consider becoming a Frontier supporter. Your donation to the Frontier directly funds our newsroom as we near our 7th anniversary. To donate, go to www.readfrontier.org donate. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Appreciate it. The Thank first you. one of these we've done in 2022, which I still actually I was making notes for myself yesterday, and I realized I had 2021 listed on the file, <laughs> so I'm not prepared yet quite for 2022. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me up here and, and doing this with yeah. us. Um, you mentioned, you know, maybe jokingly, but if you were mayor for 20 years, mm -hmm. is that is that something you'd be interested in doing? <laughs> I mean, you know, Mayor Cornette, I think he served four terms 14 years yeah an, un an unusual number of years because he took over in a special election but um no i i do not uh, see myself mayor for 20 years we don't have term limits in oklahoma city so it's theoretically an option but um no i, I think <clears throat> i think you need fresh perspective uh certainly more frequently than that so i don't know what i'll do but all i know now is i'm seeking a second term <laughs> do you you mentioned too the kind of the makeup of Oklahoma City and how it's how purple it is and, mm -hmm. and political divisiveness everywhere. Everything's mm -hmm. a, a political issue. Have things shifted even in the last four years um, since you were elected the first time? I mean, I don't this mean demographics of, of like the city, but fundamentally, I think the expectations that maybe people have what it means to be a conservative or what it means to be a liberal or Republican or Democrat. You, has that shifted at all, do you think, in the last four years? Well, sure. I mean, I think we're in a major political realignment in this country, and none of those words really have any meaning anymore, you know? Like, I mean, um, conservative being the chief one, you know? Like, I mean, there's, there's, I don't recognize what a lot of people at the national level consider to be conservatism anymore. So, um, so I just, yeah, I, I, I don't really use any of those words because, again, they, they've lost all their meaning. Um, you know, so I, I just I just try to do the right thing. Do you think that Oklahoma City at all can be sort of or can provide sort of a, a roadmap for people on how how to handle, you know, situations like this? I mean, I remember talking to you, I guess, 2020 mm -hmm. um, about uh, how Oklahoma City and how you guys handled the, the early part of the pandemic with shutdowns. And, mm -hmm. and you talked about um, just feeling like you had to make 
the right decision regardless of the politics of mm -hmm. it. And then it wasn't too much longer that Oklahoma City's posting record sales tax receipts <laughs> and mm -hmm. you know the economy um, here bounced back pretty well. And I, like you said, the polling showed that people uh, by and large approved of how you guys handled mm -hmm. uh, everything. Do you think, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm thinking of it sort of in terms of the coronavirus pandemic and how politicized every aspect of that has gotten. But do you think, I mean, what can, what can other places learn from Oklahoma City and how not just that was handled, but just the political nature of everything? Absolutely. I think we're running an experiment here. And it seems like on every issue, we do things slightly different than everybody else. And, um, and interestingly, we have approval ratings for, you know, Oklahoma City's direction and the actions of its leadership that seem to be much higher than other political figures are enjoying. So, I mean, you look at the pandemic, you know, if you compared it, our response from a government perspective versus that of more partisan Republican or Democratic legisl uh, administrations, mayoral or gubernatorial across the country. I mean, ours was totally unique. <laughs> we did things at a different time. We did things differently. Um, when I, I just, I look, everybody was either, you know, way less lax than us or way more stringent than us. Um, I can't find very many places that did it just the way we did it. And yet people here seem to think it was perfect, you know, and I think it was. I mean, I just think it was the middle ground. And it's what you can do when you have a system that incentivizes finding the middle ground, which we do in our nonpartisan electoral system. But you also sort of have a political culture and people like me that are, you know, embracing that political culture and not saying, um, you know, let's let's do what 15 percent of people want at each extreme and to heck with everybody else, you know, and which is, you know, we're in a campaign now for reelection where that's certainly the message from the other candidates, you know, but I'm sticking with what has worked so far um, for all the reason for for not just electoral reasons, because I think it will serve me there. But I also think it's just the right thing to do. And I think that we're producing results in Oklahoma City that are very unique. Um, and I, I think we I talked about this in my State of the City address in November. We need to guard it because it, it is very unique right now. And it's, uh, um, but it, it is serving us well. And I, and I don't think Tulsa is all that different. I mean, I, I think they've, uh, they've also tried to carve out a unique place of, um, of pragmatism and, and moderation and, and nonpartisanship uh, in recent years. You mentioned a little bit earlier about sort of how the terms conservative or liberal or whatever mm -hmm. have no meaning or less meaning maybe than they <laughs> mm -hmm. did, not a, a strict definition. One thing that I do sometimes, I like to ask people uh, to, you know, how they define people in the news. When you hear this name, what, what do you think, you know? And, and so like I've mentioned to people, you before, like when you hear mm -hmm. David Holt's name or you see him on the news, what, what how would you define him? And um, a lot of times, especially now with as sort of polarized everything is, is I, I hear people describe you as more of like a classical conservative, mm -hmm. more of a, you know, maybe early 2000s conservative. <laughs> but is that how, how do you describe your, I mean, how do you think of yourself? How do you define yourself politically? And if someone was asking you, I mean, to describe your, yourself to them, how would you do that? Well, one thing that I think a lot of elected officials are failing to do is understanding that who they are is not necessarily going to be synonymous with the outcomes that they're a part of. It used to be that was understood. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, 
you know, rock ribbed conservative, but I understand that like the outcome that I'm ultimately going to vote for and accept is going to be, uh, you know, partially a representation of my conservatism, but it is also partially going to be a representation of this other guy I serve with, <laughs> who is a true blue liberal. Um, and guess what? I recognize and accept that he has a vote that is equal to mine. So I'm going to have to figure some, I'm going to have to accept some compromise, right? So, so first of all, there's me and then there's the outcomes we produce as a government and those are going to be different and I'm fine with that. That's, that's the way it all works. But you, we, we live in a time where it's like, well, I'm a, I'm this or I'm that and therefore I can't be a part of anything that is anything, any less than absolutely a pure distillation of my, of my principles, you know. Um, you have to have principles, but at the same time, you have to be willing to compromise because not everybody thinks like you do. We're in a pluralistic society. So anyways, to, that's a, a preface to my answer to your question, which is, yeah, I mean, I, I think on any, by any political scientist standard, I am a conservative in the sense of that word that a political scientist would understand, you know, which is far more conservative than the people who seem to control that word at a national level today. I mean, like, I don't, they're not, they're, they're far more liberal than me in the classical senses of those words. But, um, but I recognize, you know, words are fluid and the English language is a living one. So, I mean, I don't necessarily uh, pretend that I get to, I get to control the meaning of that word, but, um, but I'm, I'm consider myself a limited government, free market conservative. Now, having said that, I'm the mayor of a purple city that has, you know, basically a 50-50 split along partisan lines um, and a lot of different perspectives and uh, people who have come from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, national backgrounds, religious backgrounds, geographic backgrounds, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and so not every out, I don't expect or think that every outcome uh, that this government produces is going to reflect the views of a 42-year-old white Osage, Northwest Oklahoma City, male registered Republican, you know, I mean, that's, that's only one of the many perspectives that are represented in our city. So though I view our outcomes as, I'm glad that as mayor, I've attained the ability to influence our outcomes, you know, and, but at the same time, I don't, I view that our outcome, my job is to facilitate outcomes that are a representation of the whole city. And that's a very pragmatic view. Um, but, you know, to me, that's, that's the role of, of a government public servant, an elected official, is, yes, you, you know, this is, a, this is a, a thing that you learn as a political, you know, as a political science major is that whole comparison and contrast between, especially when you're a legislator, whether you are a representative of your constituency or whether you are sent there to use exclusively your judgment. And the, the reality is it should probably be a mix of those two things. Um, and that's the way I view my service as mayor. Yeah, I mean, David Holt gets a little more say than the other 680,000 people, but at the same time, they get a big say too, and I'm comfortable with that. Is the makeup of Oklahoma City, the sort of the purple nature, and like you talked about the 50-50 split, is that, is that a challenge for a mayor, or is that a benefit for a mayor, or is it sort of case by case? I mean, you told me once before, I think that, and this may have been coronavirus related, but that you thought, well, it was freeing because you could do what you thought was right, and half the people would like it, and half the people wouldn't, and it was whatever you did, it was going to be that way. And so, does yeah. that pre present challenges to you sometimes, or, or is that a benefit? It, it certainly could. Um, if you treated it like most people in elected office do today, and just say, well, I'm just going to, you know, 
stay loyal with my half, um, guess what? Nothing ever works that way. Nothing ever happens. You certainly don't make any lasting change. If you make any change at all, it's it's transitory and it gets overturned. You know, when the pendulum swings just a little bit more uh, back your direction. So. I would say that I have largely found it to be beneficial, uh, that I have enjoyed being able to basically just, um, you know, uh, abandon any idea that one side is going to, and I, I use air quotes, I know this is a podcast, but I put <laughs> air quotes around side, that one side is going to dominate, you know, the, the outcomes one way or the other, and instead just say, hey, let's all just work together, let's forget who's Republican or who's Democrat. Um, and again, let's sort of work in this 70 to 80% of people in the middle. There are always, and social media really fosters them, the extreme 15% at both ends of the spectrum. And I, look, my door is open to those people, but I have found, you know, time after time after time, they're, they're just not interested in, you know, getting anything actually done. So at, at either end. So, um, so I, I found it very comfortable and not challenging, in a sense, to work with the 70 or 80% of the people in the middle. The challenge, I guess, is, is that that is so different than a lot of other people's behavior in elected office right now that um, it, confu it, it confuses, especially those ends of the extremes. I, they're like, I don't, I don't understand. You know? I mean, one of my, I saw one of my opponents you know, like, was just beside himself that I'd been endorsed by uh, an elected Democrat. You know. That, like that's intrinsic to my service as mayor that I would be supported by Republicans and Democrats. And I have the endorsement of basically every elected Republican and Democrat in Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, 95% anyways. Um, and, and I'm proud of that, you know, and I don't shy away from it. But that just goes to show that that, that is confusing. Like, tell me another elected official in America who is touting the endorsements of, <laughs> of people from both parties. Right. It's not very common right now. And so it is very disorienting if you have immersed yourself in the social media echo chamber where not only is the other party my enemy, but most of the people in my own party are also my enemy. <laughs> right. We've seen a lot of that this year. I mean, on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, you've seen even the governor mm -hmm. has a, an opponent that's running to the right of him, you know, and sure. And sure. it's, there's, yeah, there's definitely within each, like you said, the air quotes, each side, uh, different factions on each, each yeah, side. Yeah, but, but like that, that, that theory that you could just keep dividing up your electorate to the point where, you know, you, you finally reach the point of the five to ten pure people in the state of Oklahoma who, who are good enough to be a part of your party, uh, that won't win in the end. <laughs> I mean, like that, you know, good luck with that theory, but I know how that ends. You know, politics is about addition, not subtraction. So constantly... Um, pushing people out of your uh, party uh, has only one outcome, and it is defeat. Do you feel like, I mean, you talked about working with the 70 or 80 percent of people who want to get things done. I mean, is MAPS sort of a representation of, of how that works? I mean, yeah, I think MAPS 4 is like, like I said, I mean, it's to me is not just a great endeavor for its own sake in terms of the policies and substance of it, but is also a perfect manifestation of how I think government should work, right? That Nobody but the mayor liked all 16 projects, you know, and that's fine. In fact, that's exactly how it should be. You have to be comfortable that other people are getting what they want. See, that's part of the problem in American politics right now is it's like, okay, here's a list of things I want. I am also, however, very keenly aware of the list of things that my enemies want. And I'm going to, I'm actually almost more focused on making sure they get nothing done on their list. Turns out, you know, and if one of the things on their list is on my list, I'm crossing it off my list, you know. 
that kind of that's insane. Like you know, you have to be comfortable with the idea that your political opponents are getting something they want too, as long as you're getting enough of what you want. That is how we got here after 230 years uh, of American democracy, and it's uh, it's pluralism. That's not a word that gets used a lot uh, in common usage, but. It is the most important word probably in American democracy, the idea that many different perspectives can coexist and ultimately see enough of their perspective realized and projected into outcomes and policy that we can all continue to be happy and move forward. Yeah, there's an idea I think a lot of times that, I mean, it's just like letting perfect be the enemy mm -hmm. of good. You yeah. know, if I don't win 100 percent, it's mm -hmm. a loss. Yeah. And that's a mindset that I think has infected a lot of different aspects of life. You know, here in Oklahoma City, it seems like you guys are being very uh, productive. How, what, is there a secret to it, to, to reaching that group that wants to work together? Or how? I mean, first you have to even try. <laughs> you have to want to. Like I said earlier, most elected officials aren't even trying. You know, they're just saying, nah, I'm just going to work. I'm going to operate within my party or you know my side of this issue and just work there and uh you just don't have that luxury at least not in oklahoma city maybe you can do that on a state level because the state's more red but in oklahoma city it's purple so um but even if i were serving at a state level i would still want to see more of a pluralistic uh, approach to to governance you know i mean the state's still 35 40 percent democratic uh, even if that's not enough to win an election. Those people still count, you know, they still, their lives and their views should still matter and be represented in the outcomes. So I just, yeah, but so the first, the first step is actually trying <laughs> and most aren't, uh, but we definitely are here in Oklahoma city and maybe we're doing it cause we have to, but I think I'd like to think we're also doing it because we want to, and we know it's the right thing. Another thing, this is sort of switching gears, but I've noticed in the last you know, two or three years, sort of an expectation from people that their elected representatives, whoever that is, will weigh in on topics that are important to them. Mm -hmm. So that may not be, you know, a topic that falls under the direction of the mayor's office, mm -hmm. but they want mm -hmm. their to hear their mayor weigh in on something. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, since you are someone who, you know, if you look at polling, is very popular mm -hmm. with his constituents. I'm just curious what your thought process is like when you're deciding or when you're thinking about which to do I weigh in on this topic? Do I weigh in on this topic? You know, I asked on Twitter uh, yesterday, you know, hey, if you were sitting down with the mayor, what would you want to ask him or what would you mm -hmm. want me to ask him? And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the response was from people that, that wanted to hear about topics that I, the mayor's office is not necessarily connected with, you know. So mm -hmm. it, I heard a lot about Julius Jones and his case, um, the, the fifth con congressional district being redrawn you know, not topics that necessarily the mayor yeah. is getting on his desk but that people are who are your constituents are impacted by those subjects and they want to you know they wanted to hear what the mayor thinks about yeah. that redrawn matter how did how do you consider whether or not to okay my office isn't in charge of this but my my people want to hear my thoughts on it yeah, I mean, well, lots of lots to unpack there. I mean, that is like a societal trend beyond that extends even just beyond expectations of government officials. I mean, we live in this era, especially if you're seemingly if you're uh, younger and maybe more apt to be on Twitter or something, where it's like 
everybody thinks that every living and breathing human being has to have an opinion on every single thing and articulate it publicly. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's interesting, like, for example, not even like political issues, but look at like tragedies and things that happen. How many people who are just average people who are not elected to anything feel they have to make a statement on social media, you know, sending my thoughts and prayers to the victims of the, you know, the tragedy in Baltimore, you know, and, and you're like, well, who, who, why, why did you feel, why did you, you know, 19 year old college student in Edmond feel that you, that was necessary, you know, but that's just the world we live in mm -hmm. and it is what it is. Um, everybody wants to share, right? So they then have an expectation that their political leaders have that same approach or that their celebrities have that same approach, that their brands have that same approach, you know? I can't believe that, uh, you know, Johnson & Johnson hasn't said anything yet about social justice, and, you know, after the, in the wake of this event last week, you know? And so that is what it is. Yeah, you have to make a decision. Um, I generally am going to err on the side of not getting involved in things that have really nothing to do historically with the mayor of Oklahoma City. Um, I'm sure if you dug deep, you'll find some exceptions to that rule over the last four years, but I would consider it something that uh, I pretty well try to hew to. That doesn't mean, like, that rule is about, you know, I mean, to me, it's what, what really is relevant to the role of mayor of Oklahoma City. Um, and, of course, that's a subjective line. I mean, everybody's going to think that it's in a different place. But, um, but it doesn't mean, like, oh, well, like, everything that happens in Washington is irrelevant to me. Well, the infrastructure bill or the CARES Act, I mean, it had direct funding for Oklahoma City. I mean, of course, that's relevant to the mayor of Oklahoma City. So it's not as if the line is everything that happens at a different level of government is irrelevant to me. No, some of the things that happen at different level of governments are very relevant to being the mayor of Oklahoma City. But there are other things that happen at other levels of government that just simply aren't. And, um, you know, if, if you want somebody who's just a an opinion quote machine <laughs> all day long, weighing in on every single thing that happens in the United States of America, the state of Oklahoma, or the planet, then I'm probably not your guy, you know? Um, it, it's just, uh, go for somebody else, because I just think that this job's hard enough. I'm talking to you at City Hall. I mean, this is the nucleus of a billion dollar operation that's got a lot of responsibilities on its shoulders, not just the city service side, but also the role it plays in uh, just building a better community and a stronger economy. Um, and I do not feel as if I have mastered all of that so sufficiently that I can now go try to do other people's jobs too. So um, I see it, you know, I'm on social media, so I recognize that people, uh, and it's not just the stuff that you got responded to yesterday. I mean, it's been going on for four years, you know, it's, it's whatever the the issue of the week is, you know, there's always somebody out there who thinks that I should be all over it, you know. And uh, I just respectfully disagree. And, and I'm, I, I, it, there's enough to say grace over as mayor of Oklahoma City um, that you just can't weigh in on every single thing. And, and maybe some of those things I do have personal opinions on, but sometimes I don't. I mean, that's a whole other issue. It's like they don't understand the responsibility I feel to be really knowledgeable about something if I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> It's an obligation that maybe the 19-year-old college student in Edmond doesn't feel, but like, like, oh, I can't, I can't, you know, unless I am really an expert on this, I really shouldn't start talking about it. Yeah, well, I think if somebody were to speak out on all of the things that all of these folks want their political leaders to speak out on, if somebody ever really applied that theory, um, I mean, they would find pretty quickly that it's a, that political capital is a, 
is not an infinite account. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, we all know, you and I both could, if we really thought about it, think of politicians currently in office who probably speak out on too many things. And it, I don't know what I mean, like, that's not reserved to either side of the aisle, right? And who just share too much. And at some point, you stop listening. Here's one thing I didn't unpack a moment ago. Also, the, num the percentage of the electorate that wants you to do all that is very small. And that, you know, I mean, and, and, and I have to live in the real world, right? Like, I, I can't always live in social media. You know, 82% of likely voters in Oklahoma City do not have a Twitter account. <laughs> a third of the likely voters in Oklahoma City do not have a social media account of any kind. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Nextdoor, whatever. Um, so it is true that two-thirds have something, right? But, but it is not exclusively one, any, any of them. And... Uh, uh, and they, so anyways, it's just, if you live your life, and I think politicians and reporters have the hardest struggle with this, because it seems like politicians and reporters are the most active Twitter users. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think it's, it's really important for both groups, politicians and reporters, to set the phone down and step back and be like, okay, I'm just getting hammered on this thing, but is anybody like actually talking about this in the real world? Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes the answer is no, you know? And so having that perspective is important. Another uh, topic I wanted to ask you about, I was reading, I went back and, and read some older interviews, you know, mm -hmm. that you've done over the last four years. And um, there, I saw one where you talked about your Osage heritage mm -hmm. and sort of trying to connect with that heritage more uh, as an adult. And I just wondered what that process has been like for you, I mean, especially now, given that in Oklahoma, politics, tribal sovereignty, tribal heritage, it's sort of intertwined in a lot of ways. I mean, we hear about yeah. it all the time. I just was wondering what that process was like for you of connecting more with, with that heritage. I mean, what have what has that been like? What what have you learned? Um, well, I, and I, I don't think it's a journey that's complete. You know, I, so I was raised in Oklahoma City. Um, so geographically separated from Osage County, and so not, you know, not as much a part of all of that culturally as I as I would have liked. And and my my mother and her family—that was where my Osage came from. You know, we're not intimately involved in that stuff. So they were kind of tangentially aware. I mean, they would typically vote, I think, in the elections, but you know, but we weren't driving up for the dances in June every year or anything mm -hmm. like that. So. Anyway, so so I've had some opportunities as an adult to to connect more, and I but I don't I think I still have a lot of work to do on that front. This is a busy season of my life, unfortunately, <laughs> so like I don't have the luxury of time that I need. But um, but from a from a more um, practical standpoint, yeah, I definitely think it my membership influences um, how I view things and. Uh, I think it's also a comfortable place to be in Oklahoma City to be supportive of the tribes. We're, we have a great relationship. I don't just mean me personally. I mean, this whole city leadership has a great relationship with Oklahoma's tribal nations and obviously most notably the Chickasaw Nation. So we're also in a slightly different political situation than like Tulsa, right? We don't, we're not, um, you know, subject to all of the things that are happening with McGirt. It's not as if we're not indirectly impacted, um, but, you know, there's, there's no jurisdictional issues here. So that's an issue and one of the reasons for that is also part of the contributing factor to um, the dynamic in Oklahoma City which is that we don't have any tribal headquarters in Oklahoma City so there's 39 
tribes in the state of Oklahoma. Not a single one of them is headquartered in the capital, largest city in the state. So um, that historic that's created a historic disconnect. Um, maybe part of the contributing factor to why there never was a mayor of Oklahoma City that was a registered tribal mm -hmm. member before me. Um, but I think that between FAM and the Chickasaw Nation's investments in Oklahoma City and my election, I mean, there's, there's definitely like a moment here where, and FAM, I should say, is First Americans Museum. There's definitely like a moment here in Oklahoma City where I think we're, have an opportunity to assert ourselves as a capital of Native American and indigenous history and culture. And I think go, it goes hand in hand with that, that we have, that our leadership has a healthy respect for tribal sovereignty and, and a, a healthy respect for um, tribal nations as partners. And certainly, again, not to belabor the point, but the Chickasaw Nation is just time and time again, they've kind of adopted Oklahoma City. You know, we're not their territory, but um, we're the big city, um, you know, and they're the, the big player. And so they've recognized that and, and we've definitely benefited from that. So I have nothing but positive views um, on our tribal nations here in Oklahoma. And I try to hopefully uh, lead by example uh, in a, our own little way of how we think that those interactions should occur, which may be different than how things are happening at other levels of government. One more topic, and then I'll let you go. Mm -hmm. Important to me and important to you, the thunder. <laughs> this, I'm looking at them, at this roster, in kind of comparison. I know it's not a fair comparison, but to the last, you, you know, the Durant, Westbrook, Harden, mm -hmm. that that group coming up together and it's a very this group is a lot different i mean it's a different era and basketball mm -hmm. is a lot different mm -hmm. but it's it's a very fun group to watch i mean what mm -hmm. someone who you, you, the thunder you know i know that's an important thing to you and you've mm -hmm. been here mm -hmm. for a lot of that what is it like to see the team in its current yeah you know, sort I, of iteration it's a I'm fun enjoying, squad to watch play basketball i'm enjoying this chapter right because i know how this all works and where it all leads and um it's like people can you know, people who aren't enjoying it must conveniently be forgetting that, you know, a team that put Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant on the floor together started 3-27. and 27 <laughs> Right. In 2008. So um, you can have great players who are going to be great players and not win games, you know. And so... Uh, to me, that was the most fun part of that yeah. process was the pre-expectation period, you know, once the, the yeah. playoffs started and it was, you know, yeah. we've got to make the, the Western Conference finals, we've got to make the, the finals, yeah. we've got to win a championship. It was hard. <laughs> and it, that first, I mean, I remember that first playoff run, that was the most fun I ever had watching yeah. basketball because yeah. it was, yeah. there were no expectations. It was just, let's go over the eight seed, we're going to play the Lakers, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's go see what happens. And yeah. um, so to so me, I, this I, part is a very exactly. fun period. And because, partly because you can see the pieces, you can see, our new, our new version of KD and Westbrook and like, and and for me obviously that's Shay and and that's Giddy and I mean Giddy's. I gotta out myself because I was so upset <laughs> on draft night and uh, he changed my mind like instantly. But you know I was thinking man I watched all those losses last year thinking maybe we'll get two top five picks or well you know and then we draft we get six and we draft this Australian guy I'd never seen before and but he's so good he's so he's so modern. Yeah. Basketball-wise, the, yeah. the way that he moves the ball and kind of the offense flows, it just is a different – it's a totally different environment than it was 10 years ago or however long, mm -hmm. 12 years ago. No, but it's I, very fun. I think there will – yeah, there will be a time, and if we're not already there, where people are like, thank God we didn't get the third pick or the fourth pick like we wanted, you know, because we, we might not have picked Josh Giddy, yeah. you know. I mean, 
it's he's obviously turning into something very special very quickly so you look at you've got you've got the building blocks now obviously there's going to be tension points through these years does do we hold on to all those building blocks does everybody have the patience on the team to get to the but right now everybody seems to buy into it but but you got shay and you got giddy and and then it seems like you have two or three others who might be along for the long haul um and that's fluid from day to day, you know. You're like, oh, well, I think Dort's a keeper, you know. Right. Uh, but but you're but you're not 100. percent You're not. He has an organization that traded James Harden, <laughs> so anything can happen. Well, sure. Yeah, and along the way, there'll be people that we thought. Remember Jeff Green? I mean, there'll be people that we thought were building blocks that won't be. But but it's hard to imagine that anything would happen that doesn't involve Gideon Shea. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think there's. You could see the building blocks. You recognize if you followed this long enough that. Two thirds of this team is not going to be here when when the run happens, you know, um, and that there's still two or three other pieces yet to come, and, and one of them is hopefully in this year's draft, and and then one of them may be a free agent somewhere down the line, you know. I mean, it's it's a formula, right? It's kind of been run many many times through the through the league, you know. You get two or three good pieces in the draft. One of our good pieces is a trade, um, and then maybe like like with Phoenix getting Chris Paul, maybe there's that final like veteran who's willing to come as the final piece that creates right. the championship team, you know, and who knows if it all works out. I mean, I would say it's almost guaranteed to work out in, in some form or fashion in the sense that this will be a winning team that goes to the playoffs. I mean, there's just, I like, I'm, I'll take that to the bank. Is this a team that wins an NBA finals? I mean, uh, I, don't know. I mean, that's really hard. Right. To do. <laughs> I hope we do that. You look at a team that life. won championships or have been in the finals lately. And they, sometimes they come out of nowhere. It's a team that was, yeah. you don't I mean, think about two who, years ago. And who knows? Right. But, um, but I'm very confident this, that they're doing the right process to become a competitive team. Right. That's know? why that process to me is so fun. It's yeah. just the you get to look at SGA and Giddy and whoever and think, well, in five years, you know, who knows what, they, <laughs> what this guy can do. Well, that's another thing that people don't always understand is, you know, an NBA player doesn't reach their prime for like six or seven years. I mean, look at the pictures of Giannis like when he got right. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, Russell Westbrook wasn't on his first SI cover until like his sixth year in the league. I mean, you know. It, you wanted everything to happen. Yeah, right his now. fifth year, it was the radio every day. Was we've got to trade him for Rondo? You know, I mean, that was. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Josh Giddy's been playing for two months. Yeah, uh, and and Shea's been playing for um, three years, but it's been a weird three years. So it probably only counts as like one and a half. You know, and uh, we're we're not there yet for even with these players. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. No, I'm having. A, I think I think the team is doing uh, perfectly. I think this is exactly the way it should go. Um, I feel that some fans are missing it. Uh, you know, I mean, I can see that with my own eyes when I go to the games. Although I was there New Year's Eve, and that was the biggest crowd I think I've seen this year. So maybe they're starting to get it, you know. And uh, the team is very competitive in most of its games. And even, like, even that horrible, you know, 73-point <laughs> loss turned into a story that I think has been too off, too overlooked, which is that they went back and beat that same team two weeks later on their court. Right. <laughs> like, Wow. <laughs> What a turnaround. Right. If you see, I mean, obviously that was a record defeat. <laughs> but if you, if I told you, hey, this team got beat by 70 points, and you would think, well, okay, they're, you know, they're 3 and 27. <laughs> and they're, they're not. You know, it's a, it's a young team that's relying on a bunch of 19, 20, 21 year olds, and they're not 3 and 27. I mean, they're, yeah. you, they're their record good. is much more. They're winning too many games. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes too. I, I think, oh, man, that. You know, could you just have dropped that one maybe or rested some guys in the fourth quarter? But, yeah, it's a fun – this is the fun part for me as a fan is getting to see the pieces 
getting to see a new piece come in and then see what they look like and then try to visualize how they fit, you know, down the line and how it works. Yeah. And so to me, this is the fun part. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, I appreciate you being yeah. on here and talking to me. It's Thank you. You threatened this would only last 20 minutes. I think we blew way past. Yeah, we did. We went way past. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan.